At this time, will the children of the church come up? Friends, would you join me in in prayer? Um, Of course, not only for ourselves, but uh, we can even pray for our neighbor that um, the Spirit would be present with us from young, um, not to old, young to older, um, and that we would all receive God's word in this hour. So join me in prayer. Father, we know that The gospel that you have given to us is passed down from generation to generation. And I pray, Lord, in this hour that we would be faithful to that through the preaching of your word, the preaching of Christ, and the encouragement in the gospel from generation to generation. We would all be instructed in this hour from the children to the adults. Holy Spirit, be present among us working those truths, not only in our minds, but in our hearts this very day. We ask for your blessing upon the study of your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, as you're turning there, we are continuing our series, uh, A Life Pleasing to God, and as we are in a season of Thanksgiving, um, we are doing more than just celebrating the idea of Thanksgiving. We actually want to be giving thanks. And so as we've been meditating on what it means to live a life pleasing to God, uh, I think how obvious of a subject it is uh, on giving thanks. And so today's sermon is entitled God's Pleasure in Thanksgiving. And so would you stand with me as we read and receive God's word from Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 4 and then 18 to 20. Please hear now the reading of God's holy word. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. In verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You know, I don't think I'm alone in this, but when people give you thanks, isn't that such an incredible feeling? Isn't it an incredible feeling, somebody acknowledging you for something that you did or something that you didn't have to do, but you went out of your way to do so? You know, saying thank you is actually a very powerful thing. In fact, I would say saying thank you can cover a multitude of sins. You know, imagine that you're driving in your car and you are minding your own business driving when all of a sudden someone cuts you off. What's your response? anger, you're fuming, you're annoyed, and you start thinking, who does this person think that they are? They're so rude. Where are they going that they're in such a rush that they're putting everyone in danger? Is where they're going so much more important than where I'm going? And all of this negative emotion fills us, doesn't it? Maybe for some of you, certain words come out. 
But sometimes when you're driving and someone cuts you off and instantaneously all these emotions fill you just as quickly they can leave you when the driver in front of you puts his hand up and waves a little bit because we all know that's the universal sign for thank you. And just as quickly as those negative emotions filled us so they leave us and all will be okay in the universe. Someone saying thank you can be incredibly, just a great feeling, but we also know that if you're withheld Thanksgiving, if someone doesn't give you thanks, that that can be extremely frustrating. For example, has this ever happened to you where you are leaving a store and you open the door and then you see someone in the parking lot walking towards you and you think, oh, it'll be nice today. So you kind of hold the door open for them. And that person makes eye contact with you but they don't do what you expect. What do you expect them to do? To hurry up a little bit, at least to appear like they're walking a little faster, but they keep on at their leisurely pace. And then to make matters worse, when they walk through the door, they neither acknowledge you nor say thank you. And you are just absolutely livid, but to make things worse, because that person took so long to get to the door, now three other people are behind them and they're walking through the door and none of them say thank you. And you're getting really annoyed. I was just trying to be a good person. And then to make matters worse, because that one person came through, now three other people came through, now people are leaving the store and you're stuck there holding the door. No one is acknowledging you and in your mind you're going, how are people so incredibly rude? Do they think I work here? Do they think I have to do this? And you are just so frustrated inside. And what would make you feel better? If someone simply just turned around and looked at you and said, thanks. You see, we all know the pleasure of receiving thanksgiving. We know the frustration in not being given thanks. So likewise, do we understand God's pleasure in thanksgiving? And so that's what we want to think about today. And I want to do more than just reflect with you on the reasons that you should be thankful. I want to focus actually on this question. Am I cultivating a life of thanksgiving that's pleasing to God? Not simply do I know what things to be thankful for this season. Am I remembering? Am I able to come up with a list? That's not the question. We want to go deeper than that. Are you cultivating a life not just a season, not just a week, not just a day, but a life of thanksgiving that is pleasing to God. And so as we look at our gospel truth today, we are focusing on this. Thanksgiving that honors God is given with your lips and is shown in your life. Thanksgiving, true thanksgiving that honors God is both given with your lips and shown in your life. And so as we look at this gospel truth, let's consider three things in our passage. Thanksgiving comes from the mouth, thanksgiving comes from the heart, and thanksgiving comes from above. So, so thanksgiving from the mouth, from the heart, and from above. So let's start here. Thanksgiving from the mouth. If you look at verse 4, we're not working with a lot of passages, or a lot of verses here, but look at verse 4 with me. Paul will compare two things. Let's read it again. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joke. Joking, that's one thing, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And so Paul says that from your mouth shouldn't come filthiness, foolishness, nor crudeness, but should come forth thanksgiving. Your your sinful old creation self, your old tendencies of speech should be replaced now with a new kind of thanksgiving that honors God, that acknowledges Him for all the provisions in your life. 
But that's a lot easier to write and a lot easier to say than it is to live. Because without even thinking about it, our default attitude is for our old creation speech to come out. That the things we talk about aren't always this godly, uh, glorious, gracious thanksgiving, but is often this kind of filthiness or foolishness or crudeness that Paul is talking about. Isn't that true that when we hear the latest bit of juicy gossip, that that's actually what we, we can't wait to find somebody else to share that with them? Or maybe we hear an inappropriate joke on the radio or in a movie or we read it on the internet and we can't wait to tell somebody the same joke. That if there's an opportunity that if I can say something and put somebody down so that I can look a little better, don't we jump at such a chance? That the speech you and I are so comfortable with that we love to share and to pass on are the kinds of things that are not giving thanks, but as Paul says here, are filthiness, foolishness, and crude. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you were so excited to share the reasons that you are thankful to the Lord? When was the last time that you couldn't wait to see a friend or call a friend just to tell them about how good God has been to you and the ways that you were experiencing his blessing in your life? Is it a normal experience to overflow with praise and thanksgiving that you want to share with others? Or to spread the latest gossip you heard? Well, it's not gossip. It's a, it's a prayer request. Let's pray for this person. Why? Oh, let me tell you. Which is easier? Do you re- regularly acknowledge and know the things in your life that you should be thankful for? Now, honestly... Sometimes we're thankful, sometimes we're not. We're really a bit inconsistent in this. But if you're like me, you have to admit, um, I have to admit that I am so much quicker to complain and spit out bitter grumblings and heaps of ingratitude than I wish I did. And I'm so much slower to muster up words of thanksgiving and praise to God than I would like. You know, it's kind of sad, isn't it, that it requires a a national holiday for us to even pause and give thanks, and, and even then it's really not that easy to do so. You know, I think about simple things like the way we train our children and maybe the way you've been trained to pray a prayer of thanksgiving before you eat a meal. Something as simple as praying a thanksgiving for the food before you. And it's amazing that, you know, we learn these habits and we do so, you know, some of us only two meals a day, some of us maybe a little more, four or five meals a day, that you pray these prayers and yet 50 years of doing that and still when you're so hungry that you can still eat a meal and completely forget to give thanks. You know, we're plagued by this inconsistency in our lives. Sometimes uh, we say we're thankful, but our mouths are filled with everything but thanksgiving. And I heard a story of a man who came home every evening uh, from work. He was just in a foul mood because, because his work was tough. His job was just so stressful. And when at the dinner table, when he got home, he would complain, just every bit of complaint. This again? We're eating this again? Isn't this what we had yesterday? Oh, I work so hard at a job I hate, and I have to come home to this? But after his usual rant, the man would then lead his family in a prayer of thanksgiving for the meal. And then one day, his little girl asked, Papa, 
Does God hear our prayers? Of course he does, the father responded. And, that, and does God also hear everything we say when we're not praying? Yes, honey, he hears everything both when we pray and are not prayers. Then the girl paused for a little bit. Then God must be confused because what you say before you pray and what you say when you pray are so different. But isn't that all too true in our own lives? Friends, let me ask you, what, does, what kind of speech does your mouth produce? Is it consistent with your Christian profession? You know, Paul says something really interesting. He uses just this little phrase. He says, let there be. He says, let there be no filthiness. And then he says, let there be thanksgiving. And when he says, let there be, what he means is that your speech and what you say is always something that you can control. It's your responsibility. You have the power. You have the ability to decide what to speak and what not to speak. There's no, oh, he or she made me say this. You know, there are things that your body does that, you know, sometimes you don't expect things you can't control. So let's say you're in a meeting at work and you uh, haven't eaten breakfast and it's getting, you know, way past lunchtime and you're getting hungry and your stomach begins to growl and begins to make strange noises. You can't control that. No one would blame you and say, hey, control that. But when you're not having a good day, and people are letting you down and something happens to you that seems unfair, when your mouth speaks complaints and you whine and you grumble, rather than giving thanks, that is something you can control. You can let there be no filthiness. You can let there be thanksgiving. You can choose to shut your mouth. You can choose to open your mouth. And so the question for us is to really ask, will you let your mouth be filled with thanksgiving? Or with something else? What does your mouth produce? So that's our first point. Thanksgiving that pleases God begins with thanksgiving from the mouth. But we can't end our reflection here because living as a new creation in Christ is not just about changing your vocabulary and the things that you say. It's not simply refraining from some speech and adopting new and better phrases. It's not about reprogramming your thinking and your verbal responses. Now, some of this is, is, is very good. I've, I've seen on um, social media uh, this post where it says things like, you know, instead of saying, um, don't say it this way, say it this way. Don't say, you know, uh, I, I forget the examples, but like, uh, don't say, uh, I'm sorry that, rather say, Thank you for waiting for me. Instead of saying, I'm sorry I'm late, say thank you for, you know, these, these ideas of, oh, let's reprogram our language. And that's very good. But that's only changing what comes out of your mouth. If you change the, the phrases that you say, that, that's very good, of course, but you're only trying to be a better person. But if you are united to Jesus Christ, if you died with him in his death, if you were raised with him in his resurrection, then the Christian life is not simply about being a better person. It's about being a new person, a new creation. You should utter forth new speech. And because God has created us, made us new from the inside out, God doesn't simply want a thanksgiving from your mouth, but he wants thanksgiving from your heart. 
And so God deals with us at a heart level because the Bible's diagnosis is that our ingratitude is not just in our speech, but it's actually in our heart. And so certainly, give thanksgiving from the mouth, but even more, give thanksgiving from the heart. And this is our second point. Paul is saying the filthiness and the foolishness and the crudeness that comes out of your mouth is because your heart is filthy, foolish, and crude. Now think about this with me. A lemon tree does not produce apples, but lemons. A grapevine does not produce tomatoes, but grapes. Very common sense is not uh, rocking anyone's world, I hope. And yet, imagine that you bought a house. And the real estate agent, you know, told you that the huge yard that is full of trees were fig trees. And you said, oh, that's great. And yet, the colder season came, and all of a sudden, on these trees, oranges started appearing. Now, what would you conclude? Would you say, well, I guess the tree is bearing the wrong kind of fruit? Or would you conclude, Oh, I guess the real estate agent was mixed up and confused. It's not a fig tree. It's an orange tree. You would have to conclude, not that the tree got it wrong. Oh, I guess the tree was confused this year. You would have to conclude, oh, the person who told me was misinformed that this is not actually fig tree. It's just orange trees. You know that. Why? Because of the fruit that it bears. So too, if your mouth produces foolishness and crudeness and filthiness, you must conclude, oh, oops, how did that come out of my mouth? You must conclude rather that there's something wrong with your heart. You can't act surprised and and think uh, that that what has just taken place is, is a mistake or an accident. You know, and, and, and I've said this too before. Maybe you have. Have you ever said something to somebody and they kind of go, oh, yeah, I can't believe you said that. And you go, oh, I, I can't believe I said that. I never said that. I never say those kinds of words. I never say that kind of thought. Well, friend, you just did. Which means, yeah, your mouth may have never said it, but your heart was always harboring that sentiment. Thanksgiving must come from the heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, in verse 4, Paul says that if you talk like this, if you you talk in a filthy way, in a foolish way, in a crude way, he says, this is, he uses his phrase, out of place. Out of place. Now, what does he mean by that? You see, back in the earlier chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul told us this. He said, to put off your old self and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying that if you are a new creation, that you should speak in a manner that is aligned with true righteousness and holiness. And so if your words are not leading to thanksgiving, Paul is saying something is out of place, something is off, and what's off, what's out of place? It's your heart. You know, Jesus spoke about this in Luke 6 when he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the, of the heart his mouth speaks. And what's Jesus' point here? He's saying the heart is the origin. The heart is the starting point. It's the source of the stream. If the source is polluted, so also the water down the stream will be polluted. If the heart is ungrateful, so also the words that come out will be ungrateful. And so we need to focus on the heart. But let me make something clear. Because uh, in our modern society, when we talk about heart, uh, we often mean our emotions and our feelings. But that's not how the Bible uses it. 
And so we need to be careful here. Uh, often when we say something like, my heart's not in it, we mean something like, uh, I'm not excited about it. Or you say, oh, I have a heart for this. You mean, I'm passionate, I'm thrilled about this. But the Bible, when it says that out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, it's not merely talking about emotions or feelings. The heart in the Bible is, is a, the center of a person, the control center of a person. All of your wills, your thoughts, your emotions come from the heart, which is why the heart is the source from which all the streams of speech and thoughts and actions flow. And so when God looks at you, God is not only interested in your lip service. God is not in heaven simply just listening to see how many times you say thank you. He's not sitting in heaven with a notepad tallying every time you say thank you to him. God is searching the heart. He's saying, is there gratitude in your heart? You see, if this is true, then you need more than speech that is seasoned and sprinkled with a little thanksgiving here and there. What you need is the seeds of gratitude sown deep into your heart so that no matter what the circumstances are, so that no matter what the situation is, so that no matter what you have or you don't have in this life, you can still give thanks to God. The question really is this, what kind of seeds are being sown into your heart? Are they seeds of gratitude or are they seeds of ingratitude? Seeds of celebration or seeds of complaint? Unfortunately, we live in a world and culture where uh, from day one, we cultivate, unknowingly, we cultivate a spirit of grumbling and a heart that is never content. You know, I read, I came across this article by this one author who, who wrote this. He says, Our culture assumes that normal people operate with a consistent level of discontentment. We think that real equals dissatisfied. I thought that was such an astute observation. Our culture assumes that normal people operate with a consistent level of discontentment. And isn't that true? Isn't it normal to be discontent? To constantly want more than what you have. And here's, here's, the, here's the crazy thing. If you are content with the way things are in your life, people will either label you as lazy or unambitious or delusional, or unmotivated, don't they? Maybe you've experienced this. Oh, I'm content with my job. I'm not trying to become the director or the head of my department. And people say, man, that guy, he's so lazy. He's so unambitious. This reality is at work in our hearts all the time. I see it in myself. This level of, oh, what it means to be normal is, I cannot be content. Nobody is content. Nobody believes that. And so imagine that you're talking with somebody and they say, I'm totally happy with where I am in life, with what I'm doing in my life. I'm content. I know I have a, a middle class, you know, salary working uh, job. I work nine to five at a desk all day. I, but, but really, truly, I have no other ambitions. I have no greater hopes or, or dreams for my future. I, I just love the way things are now. So if someone said to you, man, I just love the way I look in the mirror. I just love the extra jiggle I've gotten since last winter. I just, I love it. I'm just so thankful for how I look and the way everything is. How many of you would think about that person? What a liar. What a liar. Why? Because the assumption is that none of us are content and thankful and that things right now are okay. 
There's a part of us that judges the other person. If someone told us that, let's be honest, we would think, man, that guy's either lying, they're self-deceived, or they're acting holier art than thou, right? Why? Because our culture says, hey, it's okay to be dissatisfied with things, and it's not right to be okay with how everything is right now. We should want more. We deserve more. We need more. That's the threefold lie of the world. We should want more. We deserve more. We need more. And you see, when discontentment is normalized, then we all live with this belief. Man, I should want more. I deserve more. I need more than what I currently have. You see, when your heart is tied to that narrative, when it's conformed to those lies, then the fruit that is produced in your heart will never be God-honoring thanksgiving. You'll never experience true thanksgiving from the heart. But when your heart is tied to another narrative, when seeds of deep biblical truth are sown into your heart, then and only then will thanksgiving be produced from your heart. You see, your heart needs to be tied not to the lies of the world. I should want more, I deserve more, I need more. But tied to the truths of the Bible. And when God is speaking into our lives... Because only when this happens, only when your heart is filled and flooded with such things, will you not only just give life, uh, lip service to God, but that your heart will actually begin to change. You, you see, a lot of us um, say that we're thankful, but we don't live thankfully. Isn't that the great inconsistency in our lives? So what truths do you need to flood your heart? What truths of Scripture do you need? Let me point you to just a few Friends, for, for, for when, for when your, your lips may be saying thank, giving thanksgiving, but your heart is so full of, man, I deserve more. I need more. I want more. What truths are there? James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Psalm 84, 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Philippians 4.11 For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Job 1.21 The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Romans 8.28 For those who love God, all things work together for good. Psalm 110.4-5 Give thanks to Him, bless His name. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. See, when your heart is wrapped up in these truths, in these biblical promises of God, when your heart believes these things about who God is, then thanksgiving will begin to flood into your heart like a mighty rushing stream. It'll be this expulsive power to get rid of the ingratitude that fills your heart. The more you fill your life with the truths of God's word, the less room there is in your heart for complaint and grumbling. 
You know, I imagine, this is not a perfect illustration, but I imagine it like your heart is like a bucket. It's filled with filthy water, full of filthy water. And as you begin to throw rocks and stones into that bucket, what happens? The water inside begins splashing out. The filthy water inside is slowly getting displaced and removed as rocks and stones of deep biblical truths of gratitude and thanksgiving fill it and so that there is no more room for water. You see, the more biblical truths there are that are flooding your heart, that actually take residence in there, the more room there is for things I mean, to come out because there's no more filthiness, there's no more ingratitude. Now, of course, this is, a, this is an imperfect illustration, and then you're going to say, well, Andrew, if you've ever taken a bucket full of water and you throw stones in it, then there's always still going to be water left over, isn't there? The water, the filthy water that's in between the stones, in between the rocks. So if you throw great, all these biblical truths into your heart, you're still going to have ingratitude. You're still going to have complaint. You're still going to have bitterness. You're still going to have grumbling. And so then how do you get rid of that water? We need a whole new source, a whole new stream pouring into us. A whole new clean water that's pouring into our hearts that as it pours into us, that murky water begins to come out. And the only stream that will fill your life completely so that gratitude begins to overflow is to be poured into from the spring of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, when your life is connected to the gospel, you have an endless supply of reasons to be thankful. It pumps into your life until what was there is no more. The question is, what stream do you have feeding into your heart? What stream is pouring into you? Apostle Paul mentioned it just two verses earlier in our passage. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, he wrote, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the source Meditate on that, on Christ and his endless love and sacrifice, and it will flood your heart like nothing else. You see, if Jesus was finite, then so would his love and sacrifice for you. It would be finite as well. There would be an end to it, a limit you could reach. His love would be a mystery that you could solve. It would have a depth that you could explore. And then eventually you would have reasons to run out of thanksgiving. But Jesus Christ is infinite. The one who gave up his life for you, who loved you until the end. He is the eternal one. God himself took on flesh and he died on a cross so that we could have eternal life through the forgiveness of our sins through his shed blood. And because he is not mere man, he is the God man, the infinite one, the eternal one, the uncreated creator, this means that the mystery of the cross is not something that you can comprehend. The depth of his love is something that you can never reach. It's deeper than the ocean floors. It's higher than the highest heavens. You see, when you tap into Christ, when you tap into love and mercy and sacrifice, it begins to flood your heart with unending reasons of thanksgiving. 
And because Jesus has given himself fully to you, he cannot be taken away from you. And if he cannot be taken away from you, then thanksgiving can never be taken away from you. This means that no matter what you have or you don't have in this life, no matter how much you have or how little you have in this life, no matter the favor you have or the disfavor you have from the eyes of man in this life, no matter how fair life seems to be or how unfair life seems to be, when you have Jesus Christ, you have every reason to give thanks deep from your heart. He is the stream. He is the source. He is the ocean that floods into your heart, displaces all of the grumbling and the ingratitude and begins to see so deep inside of us reasons for thanksgiving. And here's our third and last point, thanksgiving from above. We read this section in verses 18 to 20, verses 18 to 20, and then we read it again. Paul goes on to say, And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is making it clear here. He says, giving thanks always and for everything that God comes as a result of being filled with the Spirit. What is a Spirit-filled person? A gratitude-filled person. Why? Because as you are filled with the Spirit, there is no more room left for you. If the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, then yourself, your self-centeredness, your selfishness, all begins to be displaced. The Spirit chokes out the ingratitude that harbors in your heart. He chokes out the selfishness and the self-centeredness that thinks that the world is all about you. You see, whereas ingratitude looks at others and then complains for not having what they have, the Spirit teaches you that contentment is not found in having what others have, but in having what God has given you. Whereas ingratitude looks at others and then gets bitter that you don't have what you think you deserve, the Spirit reminds you that you deserve nothing and everything you do have is received by grace. Whereas ingratitude looks at others, looks at what you have, looks at what they have, and then tells you that you could always use more, the Spirit helps you see that what you have is plenty and what you don't have but need, God will provide. The Spirit comes down as He fills our hearts, as He floods our house, He floods us with thanksgiving because we stop thinking about ourselves, that we should want more, that we deserve more, that we need more. And yet, what about those what about those who are not Christians and yet seem to live amazing lives of thanksgiving that puts many Christians to shame? I was thinking a lot about this this week. How is it that unbelievers often live more grateful lives than Christians? Have you ever thought about this? Have you noticed this? Because you may know Christians who complain and are discontent and grumble and are so unsatisfied, and you may have non-Christian, unbelieving co-workers who seem to be so filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. 
Well, first, it is a shame indeed. It is a rebuke against us that this can outwardly be true. But, thanksgiving that is pleasing to God is not simply giving thanks abstractly or ambiguously. There are people who are thankful and they live their lives as such, very thankfully. But the question that we must ask is, thankful to whom? Who receives their thanks? They may thank themselves, in which they are filled with pride. They may thank others, in which they are misguided. Or they may thank their lucky stars, in which they are ignorant. Each of these perspectives of giving thanks to everyone but God is misattributed. And thus they miss the mark of true thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that pleases God is not merely just being thankful, but being thankful to God. It's pleasing to Him because we are giving back, we are rightly acknowledging the one from whom all blessings flow. You see, thanksgiving pleases God when we readily acknowledge through the Spirit that everything we have is from His good hand. You know, a big part of award shows, shows like uh, the Grammys or the Oscars or these acceptance speeches. And when I was a kid and I, and I watched these shows, I, I always turned the channel on after they announced the winner and the celebrity went up and started giving their acceptance speeches. I thought they were the most boring part of the show uh, because this person would win and then they'd go up and I would get really bored because they would just start listing all these names of people that you have no idea who they would take out a list and you go, oh, geez, and they just read off names. and You go, I don't know who they are. I know who you are, but I don't know who they are. And I thought this was the most boring part of the shows. But as I got older, I began to realize that actually those who thanked many people were actually the most humble recipients, aren't they? They aren't the ones who went up and said, well, to all the haters out there, I proved you wrong. I showed you. I had so many obstacles, but I overcame. That's not the humble recipient. The one who comes out and says, I thank. And then they just go on and they list people after people. I realized that those speeches were actually the most meaningful. They were so important. Why? Because they were properly giving thanks to those who deserved it. If you are seeking to be a thankful person this season, the most important question is to whom are you giving thanks? To whom are you giving thanks? As Paul tells us, are you giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? See, that's the question that we need to wrestle with because, friends, this Thanksgiving season, some of us may look at our lives and there may not be much to give thanks for. Maybe things have been really difficult at home. Maybe life has seemed very harsh. There's been an inordinate amount of suffering. Maybe this Thanksgiving, the household will be a little smaller. The gathering won't be as full as it once was. Maybe there'll be a seat that was normally occupied but is no longer there. Maybe you can't have the type of Thanksgiving you've always had because work has been a little tough and finances are, are, are a little 
you're more strapped for cash. And you may, may not be able to enjoy Thanksgiving because there's so many other things going in your life. You see, the message of Thanksgiving is look around and see all that you're thankful for. That, that, that's true, but that's merely optimism, positive thinking. As a Christian, we certainly are thankful for all the blessings that God has given us. But when life seems this way, when it seems so harsh, you never conclude, I have no reasons at all to give thanks. No, friends, rather in those moments that you draw deeply from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember Christ crucified for you, and you will begin to see, actually, that there is a whole ocean of reasons from which you can draw and give thanks to God. What does a life pleasing to God look like? Thanksgiving shown in your life and given with your lips. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to respond to your word, God, we want to respond in thanksgiving. We want to respond to you. We want to praise you. We want to lift your name up on high because we acknowledge, Lord, that the greatest reasons we have to be thankful for are because they come from your hand. And the greatest reason we are to be thankful because you have given to us your son. So now, Lord, as we respond properly, focus and align our hearts, O Holy Spirit, on Christ, so that the thanksgiving may begin to overflow from our hearts, for he loved us and gave his life up for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction, friends. Now may the grace and mercy and love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father Almighty and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, hear the dismissal. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.